If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Titus chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you'll find in your bulletin on that longer piece of paper uh, the scripture that we're going to primarily be focusing on today as we conclude our series together in the book of Titus called Proper Working Order. And as we've looked at this, we've seen this amazing grace of God. That God is so merciful to sinners like us that it's his work alone that puts our lives, puts our church, puts our world back in proper working order. And it really begins in proper relationship with him. We will never have our lives in proper working order. We'll never have our church, our society in the right order unless we are in a right relationship with him. And the good news to all of us is that our Father provides a way for us to be properly aligned to him. And the way he does it is through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. And because of that reality, order has been restored. But there's more than just an order of relationship. God has come in such a graceful and powerful way that now he is empowering our lives to be in good working order. That we are live our lives as God intended them to be. To work as that has God's blessing. To work in a way that we call good works. But it's a way that we were supposed to live our lives. And the amazing thing of this, you got to get this from the beginning. This is an amazing, beautiful thread that will run through all of this passage. God puts us right with him. So that our lives could be in good working order. And now listen to this. And as our lives produce the good works, the good order. He mends the world. He puts the world together in the right order through us. We just sang that. He is the only remedy. He is the only hope for your life, for your family, for this church, for the state, for this world. But he puts the world back together through us and the gospel of Jesus Christ through us. It's an incredible good news story. So as we look to God's word, let's see what God has done. This morning, we're going to discover these four things. There'll be an outline for you. Uh, we're going to look at how good works. What are the proper working order? Uh, what comes first, works or salvation? That's really going to be the first one. The second point we're going to look at is what makes a good work, according to the Bible, good? What is good about it? Are there certain things that aren't good? Thirdly, we're going to see, are these things really necessary? Is it really necessary for followers of Christ to do, uh, live our lives with proper working order, proper works? And lastly, the beautiful culmination of this whole thing is the beauty. The beauty that God shares with us and with one another uh, is for our, through our good works, with our lives working in proper working order. So let's look to God's word. Uh, Titus chapter three will be in verses eight through 15, the last little section here of this amazing book. And here's, here's, an, here's an amazing thing about God's word. There was a guy named Paul who wrote this a really long time ago, and he wrote it specifically to a pastor named Titus and to a place named Crete. But what God did through Paul was he breathed upon him his very being. And so when Paul wrote, he still had his own style. He still used the same things that Paul does, but he did it in a way that he was writing words that were living and active, that are holy and true. Here's the point. Whoever you are and wherever uh, you are, as far as in your journey with, in life, you're here for a reason. And this is a story that God doesn't want you to just to hear. This is a story that God wants you to intersect with. Because this is his living and holy word. Let's read it together. I'll read it aloud. You read it along silently. Verse 8 of God's holy word. Paul writes, This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, 
so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. When I send Artemis and Tychiatus uh, to you, do your best to come to me, to Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to spend, speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, as Paul concluded that letter, he said, and may grace be with us all. Father, that is my prayer this morning, that the grace of God would be with each one of us here. Your grace would be so present that you would give us the ears to hear your voice, the voice of your son, Jesus, not my voice. God, by your grace and for your glory, would you come and would you shine your light through the Holy Spirit into our minds so that we could understand your word and what it means for our very lives. Father, may your grace, that saving grace, be very present in our hearts, especially those of us who have hearts that are cold and hardened because of sin or disbelief. God, may your grace come in such a way that that our hearts beat faster for you and your love and what you have done for us. God, would you be so so present with us through the preaching of your word that you do transform us. And as we leave here, that we would walk with feet in obedience to you and worthy of the name Jesus. Father, I pray for your grace and for your glory that all that is said and done that is true, that you would use those things to make us more like Jesus. And Father, the things that I say that are my opinion or wrong, that those things would fall away and quickly be forgotten. We pray that you and you alone, our great triune God, would receive glory, that we would receive joy and challenge and life through your word. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. The first thing we see in this amazing text, and again, you want to follow on the bulletin, the outline is there for you, is good works in their proper working order. What I'm trying to say with this is this. What came first, the chicken or the egg? What came first? I mean, it's a good, it's a chicken. We have an answer. Finally, it's been resolved. It probably was, if you look at it in the creation sense. But when it comes to what came first, works, good works are our salvation. Scripture wants to make it very, very clear to all of us that good works, doing things that we try to do that would please and honor God and love our our neighbors, those good things, uh, those never precede leading to our salvation. 
They never cause God to say, you know, that person's really a nice guy or she is really awesome. Look at the good things they're doing. I'm going to love them. Good works are always something that accompanies our salvation, but it's not something that ever precedes our salvation. The Bible is very, very clear about this. So when we start off by talking about good works, we got to make sure that they're in the proper order. That the first thing that appears is God's amazing grace to sinners like us. The first thing that appears is that God demonstrates love for sinners like us who don't deserve it. And he comes and he rescues us and he gives us a new nature and he gives us the ability to even love and embrace him. It always begins with his grace. But it's always preceded when God has worked in our lives. It always is preceded by good works, living a life for him. Never precedes our salvation, always is accompanying with that. Let's look at scripture and see this a little bit more clearly. Ephesians 2.1 Ephesians 2, 1, Paul also wrote that in the New Testament. He says, apart from Christ and our, and our, new, and our, our natural state, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Sin has so corrupted us, even from birth, that we are unable to do anything on our own that will ultimately make God happy. Now, we're certainly not physically dead. There's a lot of people who don't know Christ who are alive And there's a lot of people out there that don't know Christ that do good things. Maybe things for our community, maybe things for our world. So so what is this really talking about? Well, it's basically saying this is that there's nothing that we could ever do to clean ourselves up or ever do to make God set his love upon us. Here's grace. God loves us because he loves us. God loves us and he knows that apart from him, we're filthy uh, rags. But he, by his grace, offers us salvation. Let's look to Titus. Titus makes it clear as well. It shows us a picture of who we are apart from Christ and who we are with Christ. Titus 3, 3 through 7. Let's go back and pick that back up. It says this. For we ourselves, this is apart from Christ, were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. What a bleak picture of who we are apart from Christ. But hear good news. Verse four. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified or being declared uh, not guilty or being made in the proper working order is all by his grace. We might become heirs, family members, according to the hope of eternal life. Scripture tells us that apart from him, we're foolish, we're disobedient, And salvation is all by God's grace appearing. As a matter of fact, let's look at what Paul says in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, make this very clear of the order of salvation. It says this, Ephesians 2, 8, it's for by God's grace, you've been saved. It's all by his mercy, through faith. 
It's all because he loves sinners like us and the vehicle that we have to be saved is through faith. And this is not of our own doing. It says it's salvation, this grace, it's a gift of God. I mean, even the faith that we have is a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. I mean, this is, this is really clear. The good works don't do anything to lead to our salvation. It's all by God's grace. It's all through faith. No one here should ever say, God loves me because of all the good things I do or the good things I will do. If you're his, we owe everything to his grace. But look at verse 10. It's amazing. For we are his workmanship. It's a beautiful Greek word. We're going to look at a little bit more detail here in a few minutes. We, we are his masterpiece. Uh, we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus. For those of us by God's grace that are saved, that are made new, we are that masterpiece. We've been recreated in Christ Jesus. But for what? Listen, for good works. We're not saved for good works, but God has saved us to good works, which God prepared beforehand. He knew before he created you, he was going to rescue you if you're his. And he knew the way he wanted you to live. And he knew the good works he wanted you to perform that you should walk in them. Another translation is that you should live your life by them. We are clearly saved by his grace through faith, but we are saved to good works. James says it this way in James 2 verse 17. He says, if you have faith and you don't have the works of that faith, you're not living your life now in obedience to God, your faith's dead. So uh, if you have true faith, you will always have uh, works that point to the salvation by God's grace. So the order is clear. You guys have the order? It's clearly that we're saved by God's grace. Doesn't start with good works, but it always leads to good works. Now, probably the next question we all have to have, the second point, Good works in their proper working order. What does it really mean to have a good work? Tropicana came out a few years ago with a commercial series. And they said this, we put the good in morning. Now, I got to tell you, I choose Tropicana. It's very good orange juice. Uh, I like it a lot. But can we say that Tropicana puts the good in morning? Some of you might argue there's no good in morning. I, I might be one of those people. But what puts the good in good works? That's why we want to know. What puts the good in good works? Or, or what makes our good works good? Let me give you a couple of thoughts. The first definition. Good works are those things we do. Now listen, small things and big things. Those things that we do that are done in the right way for the right reason. Did you hear me? Good works are those things done in the right way for the right reasons. It's for what we would say as Christians, kingdom reasons. That King Jesus has come. He announced that my kingdom has come and my will should be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. And so we do the right things for, for King Jesus, for his fame, for his glory, for his name, for his reputation. Good works are done for him. Good works are never self-seeking or self-promoting. I mean, there's something nice about being benevolent. There's something nice with being philanthropic. That could make you feel good. You should do that. But oftentimes we mistake good works for those things we do to make us feel good. For us to kind of get a buzz about us instead of bringing glory to God. The illustration that came to my mind was, you know, it's nice to care for the least of these little babies. How about politicians? Big, strong men and women kissing babies. Are they really doing it for the baby and blessing them or for the election, right? So we can see that good works can be done um, that aren't really good if it's not for God's glory. 
But we also have examined this right theology. And this, this letter has got great theology of who God is and how we're to live. Right theology is really right thinking. And right thinking should always lead to right living. Let me give you one more definition of what good works are. Good works, according to the Bible, especially the book of Proverbs, good works are those things that we do to disadvantage ourselves for the benefit of others and the glory of God. Did you hear that? Good thing, good works are those things that we do to disadvantage ourselves with our time, our talent, our treasures, somehow investing in others for their benefit and for God's glory. You want to get a picture of good works? His name is Jesus. The one who ultimately always here on earth would disadvantage himself, not seek his own glory, but seek the glory of his father. All things he did, he emptied himself of his riches and so that we could be filled, that we could become rich all for the father's glory. That is good works. Let's talk a little bit about the necessity. We've seen the order. It comes after our salvation. We've seen what they are. What's the necessity of good works for our lives to be in proper working order? Because scripture says for us to do this, it's excellent and profitable. Let's look again at Titus 3.8. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things. I love this about God's word. He's saying, hey, this isn't just, just a good idea. What you need to do, Paul tells Titus and tells me to tell you, insist on this. This is a life in proper working order. This is a life that God has intended us to live. So that those who have believed in God, if you are here and by grace you believe in God through Christ, we may be careful, we may be focused, we may be uh, careful to devote ourselves, themselves to good works. Because these things are excellent and profitable for people. Here's the reality. We can't be in proper working order if our lives aren't in good working order. In other words, we can't be right aligned with God unless we are doing the good works that he has called us to do. Even in this book of Titus, it tells us several times about good works. I'm going to give you a a list of them um, and hear how he describes how we're to live our lives with good works. In chapter 2, verse 14, it says this. We need to be zealous for good works. We may have a zeal that we live our lives saying that we are going to try to honor God with everything we say and do. we got to be zealous for it. And here's the beautiful reality again. We aren't zealous to do good works so that God will love us. Listen to this. We are zealous to do good works because God does love us. And he has done all that he required for us through Christ. Let me say it more clearly. We are zealous for good works because God has put us in a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And everything that God required of us to to have that relationship, Jesus Christ has secured for us. And now we live our lives in zeal to do the right thing because he has done the ultimate thing for us. It says in chapter three, verse one, that we need to be ready for good works. We got to be ready. Uh, It's going to come. You're going to have to love your neighbors yourself in some difficult times. Be ready on I-4. Be ready when you're busy. Be ready at work. Be ready because it will probably come. Opportunities will come when you're tired, fatigued, annoyed, irritated. But God says, I have set you aside to show good works. Uh, be ready for them. We need to be devoted to good works in 3.8. Devote our whole lives to say, this is living for him. 
and verse 14, 314, we need to be practicing or learning good works. Uh, basically saying the word learning here is not learning by a lectern. You need to learn by doing. Learn by doing. Be devoted to live for Jesus and his glory in all that you say and do. Um, and it also says very clearly that we are supposed to be doing these for the urgent needs. You know, we're not a huge church, but we're fairly big. So how do we know about all the urgent needs? Because scripture says that we're to take care of each other. You know, every time you come in here, you'll be handed a bulletin and in there there'll be prayer requests. Good um, work. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Prayerfully consider, how can I love them? Is there a meal that needs to be delivered? Is there a kid that needs to be carted to a ball practice? Is there a family that needs to be invited over? I mean, this is, this is really practical ways of, of, of good works. But just look in the bulletin. Also, be in a community group. I mean, a lot of times we don't know of the urgent needs unless you're together in a community group. But my, my community group, we have some of the most urgent needs I've ever seen. We, we've had a, a loss of a spouse. I mean, a, a, one morning, uh, losing a 50-year-old uh, uh, in our community group. We've, we've had divorce and, and strain and one's moving away. I mean, there's urgent needs right there. Get yourself in community. Um, it says actually in Titus that in 116 that um, without good works, we deny God. It's interesting. There were those who were saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but they lived their life in such a way. They said, no, you're not. You're denying me. That our good works, the way we live our lives, should be a stamp, a testimony that Jesus is our Lord and our King. And the way we live our lives could also deny him in verse 116. Without good works, we are unprofitable and useless, it says in 3, 9 through 11. It's talking about those religious folks that are hung up on genealogies and stupid questions and wrestling with things of the law that aren't really that important. <coughs> Scripture says, avoid people like that. Warn them twice. But our religion shouldn't be arguing over theological little nuances. We should dig deeply into God's word. Listen, here's the whole point. We're in relationship with God to make a difference. We're in a relationship with God to show the world that he is real. And we're in a relationship with God to live our lives in a way that says that religion and relationship is not worthless. Lastly, and most beautifully, you got to hear this. The beauty of our good works with our lives in proper working order. There is a beauty to it. Let's go back to Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Workmanship. Really studied that word. Poema in the Greek. It's a lot of ways it's a masterpiece. But the more and more I studied, listen, you got to get this. This is so amazing. That word in its very root and its very foundation means fabric. Fabric. We are God's fabric. We are his fabric. Here's, here, here's what it's basically saying. We are the fabric. Listen, we are the fabric that God chooses to use to fix the world. We, our very lives, are the fabric in Christ Jesus. It's his plan to tell the whole world his story and his goodness. We, by God's grace, right here, right now, we are in Christ Jesus, the very fabric of heaven. That God is weaving into this world. He brings heaven to earth through you and me. He brings heaven to earth and the kingdom of God through our lives. We are the fabric to be woven into this world. 
We are to be the ones who are stitching up the world's wounds and the tears, making it healthy. That's what good works are about because we're the fabric. We're the fabric of heaven. We are to be adorning this world with God's beauty, weaving in such a tapestry that is so beautiful through our good works and our love of God and our love of neighbors that we're making this world pretty. That's God's plan. We are the fabric. We're to be that softness of a down pillow to make the hard places of this world soft. We're to be the fabric to take the torn and the wounded places and make them whole. We are the fabric of heaven. We are the fabric of Christ. We are the very fabric fabric of God to take the cold places and weave in God's warmth. We are to take the strained places and make them seamless where God and man can live together. We are the fabric of God to fill the lonely places of this world with his love. We are the very fabric of God to make our world, ready for this, our world inhabitable for God and man to dwell together in harmony. You're the fabric of God, your world, where you are, your home, your workspace, your school. You are the fabric of God there for design to make that place by God's grace for his glory, empowered by his Holy Spirit in the gospel, a place where man and God can live together in harmony. Let me say it this way. You're the fabric of God to bring God's marvelous light into darkness. You are the fabric of God to bring his breathtaking beauty into the void of this world. You are the fabric of God to bring proper working order to the chaos around us. Did you you see the picture? A lot of times we hear this, good works, go do that because God likes good works. Good, good works, that's what Christians are supposed to do, do good works. There's so much more beauty to that. God rescues us and says, through you, I want to make this place beautiful. You are my workmanship. You are my fabric. You are my ambassadors. Are we living our lives, weaving the fabric of the kingdom of God, all of its blessing and healing powers into our society? As we do, we declare with our good works. We declare with the things that we do that our king has come. That's our declaration. Our king has come. The grace of God has appeared. He's rescued a sinner like me. The grace of God has come and now we can live our lives in proper working order. As we are the fabric of God, we declare with our good works, our king has come. But we also do more. Through our good works, that fabric of the kingdom, we are preparing by our good works, our glorious king's glorious return. My brothers and sisters, we're living hope. We're living hope that Jesus is coming back. And we live our lives with weaving in the fabric of our society in a way that leaves his footprints and his fingerprints everywhere we go for the glory of God, that he really did come and he really is coming back and he really is with us. We are the fabric of the kingdom of God, his workmanship. And it says also, we're the aroma of Christ to a dying world. You know, we got this huge gardenia bush outside my back door and it's really, it's, it's, it's kind of overgrown and not really pretty, but man, have you smelled a gardenia flower? Have you smelled one? It's so beautiful. Just even this morning, there were a few buds out there. And it's had a, it was an incredibly beautiful aroma. Do you know they say that the sense of smell is connected to memory stronger than any other? And the sense of smell just triggers like memories. 
Katie growing up had a gardenia bush in her backyard. And she not only loves that smell, but she loves the reality that takes her back home. We are the aroma of Christ. We are, by God's grace, not only that fabric, but that fabric has a beautiful aroma to it. And guess what? It smells like home. It smells like Jesus. It smells like where we're going. And it's like, it's like putting on that sweatshirt that has that certain, like maybe it's your father's sweatshirt and you put it on and you, yeah, that's my dad. And we live our lives with our works by God's grace. And it's not only just weaving the kingdom, it's weaving that aroma everywhere we go and it smells like home. What and where are you weaving the fabric, the kingdom of heaven into this world? The good news is it's right where you start, right where you are. You don't have to go today and go somewhere far away. You just got to do it right where you are. If you are his workmanship, you are the fabric of the kingdom. Weave well for the glory of God. Let me give you a couple of opportunities you have here at Orangewood, even immediately. So many amazing ministries going on here. We have a lot of immediate needs that you could be weaving the fabric of the kingdom Uh, our O kids uh, ministry to our own kids. We are in desperate need of four uh, small group volunteers. We saw a huge group of kids going. You know, we have, we need four. We need them immediately. Four of you to say, I'll be the fabric of the kingdom of God. I'll pass a baton. I'll give up one of my worship services. I'll come to another one. Uh, Commit, even just commit from now until December or now until May. Uh, Contact Marie. We're really in desperate need right now. Our high school ministry needs small group leaders. Uh, those will be need commitment on uh, Sunday nights from 6.30 to 8.30. Our middle school needs a production team, and they, they meet on Wednesdays. The team will probably have to show up a little bit earlier at 5, um, but great needs to pass a baton. Hey, a ministry opportunity we have coming up is our 5K race, our greater K, 5K race. And this is completely 100% supports uh, some of our ministry partners like Orlando Children's Co- uh, Church and New Hope for Kids. We need some of you to register just to run company uh, sponsorships and volunteers, a way to bless our community and say we love you and we're here. Uh, Many other uh, ministry needs. One of the ones is a really easy one, but so much, so needful. This red bag campaign. Red bag campaign is for Seminole County school children that are hungry. This is filling a pantry for kids. Listen, this is filling a pantry for kids that need food. And all you got to do is pick up a bag and fill it up. We'll tell you what to fill it up with. And all you got to do is drop it off. And it's going to go to kids in need. We want 50 of them. Okay. Many of you are doing it. It's phenomenal. It's hard to believe that we live in a town or an area that there's kids that are hungry. They are. What a great way. We have a helping hands ministry. Helping hands ministry is primarily designed for the elderly, the widow, the divorced that are overwhelmed with their home. Ed Kent um, and our deacons do an amazing job with that. Um, sign up to provide assistance for those in need. You'll see on our website, there's a chance to do that. Uh, it's really committing to four hours a couple times a year. Sons of Christ Mentoring Ministry. It's a fairly new ministry. Uh, this church has a lot of boys that uh, don't have fathers. And so uh, we have several uh, teamed up with a mentor. It's doing some great things. You'd be so proud. But there's several boys who need someone who says, you know what? I will be the fabric of heaven. I will be the aroma of Christ. I will pour into them. Um, 
We have uh, other ministry partners that you could immediately jump into uh, to, to give your life away for the glory of God. Remember, we don't do any of this to earn God's love. We do all of this because we received it. Remember, we do these things as the fabric of heaven to declare the good news that God has come and he's coming again. This is, well, this is good working order, church. And this isn't us just to hear about. This is us to engage in. This is us being a church. This is us saying, all those people say you're hypocrites. You just talk about it. No, no, we want to live it because we have an amazing life in Christ Jesus. We've been put in proper working order. And now we are the aroma of Christ. We're the very fabric of heaven. Do you get it? I want to thank you for all you do. I think this church is an amazing place. We've, our deacons fund has given away like $50,000 uh, this year um, to those in need. Um, but it's more than just giving. It's also trying to restore and love all for the glory of God. What a privilege. Where are you weaving the fabric of heaven in your life? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the amazing privilege the amazing privilege to be in right working order with you all by your grace, all through the work of your son. And God, we thank you for the gospel and the Holy spirit that empowers us not just to be in proper working order, but good working order and do the good works that are the fabric of heaven that tell your story to bring healing to a broken and lost world. Father, I pray for each one who truly knows you as Lord and savior that God, we would say, take my life and let it be consecrated for thee, that we would say in all that we do, will you receive glory? It's a privilege of ours to be yours. And now weave your story through us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.